0: You know that thing where they ask celebrities to answer popular questions from Google autocomplete? Yeah, that's what we're doing today. It's Device and Virtue.
1: hey, welcome back to Device and Virtue, where we argue the wrongs and rights of technology and faith in everyday life. We're coming to you from Chicago. I'm Chris. And I'm
0: Adam. Hey, Chris, today is the episode where I have a few questions that I think you need to answer.
1: Oh, really? Because I have a few questions I think you need
0: to answer. (laughs) Yeah. And these are questions about, you guessed it, technology. You mean the top
1: technology questions that people really want to know? I think it is. But how did we know... The top questions that people are asking. Adam sat around and came up with a meme from 2016.
0: <laughs> I was going to say it was a good year, but maybe I can't say that. <laughs> we used Google autocomplete. Yes.
1: Autocomplete questions. This was your idea, by the way. I'm I'm absolutely sure it was. <laughs> okay. Does everyone remember this? This is the videos from YouTube where like they have a celebrity... Wired Magazine sponsored them a lot. And like they pull out a poster board with all the questions printed on the poster board that are like what people are typing into Google.
0: Yeah, so it's like Ryan Reynolds or Kristen Bell, some celebrity. And it's like, why is Ryan Reynolds... Canadian. Yeah. Something like that. (laughs) Right. They're like sometimes nonsensical, but then they get these celebrities to actually answer these autocomplete questions. These are the most popular questions that people are asking. Yeah. Right. And they're funny. They're comedic. But I like that we're doing this for this. So (laughs) So our celebrity is technology in this case, and we're going to answer on its behalf. So I started typing in, or maybe you started typing in phrases like, what does technology blank? Right. Or is technology? Yeah. Or why is technology so difficult? And you
1: let Google autocomplete the algorithm essentially fill in the blanks of what
0: other people would be asking in that situation. Right. So Google has gathered all of these searches, all these queries that people make billions of times a day or whatever. And they've said, these are the most popular ones. So you might be asking this question too, and you can just press enter and it'll go search that popular question. We just went and looked at how does Google autocomplete this? What are people asking? And we picked doozies, really doozies. <laughs> well, the great thing is that I got to pick the ones that you're going to have to answer. <laughs> and I got to pick the ones that you are going to answer. And we're going to do our best to try and answer the questions that have stumped everyone. Okay, well then I think
1: I get the first question to you all right are you ready <laughs> here we go okay adam you have to picture me typing this into google why does technology hate me <laughs> <laughs> which is definitely on a top list of the, of the things that appear here and feels like something you probably typed it <laughs>
0: Why does technology hate me? Because I, I think you do think I hate I, I feel that. Not just in my heart, but like in my gut. Viscerally? It's a visceral feeling. You know, it's funny that this is even a top question. Is it? It's definitely not. I was like, oh, of course it is. <laughs> I mean, it's a universal feeling. That's the reality of it. People are seeing the ghost in the machine. And well, what do you mean? They, they sense that there's this intelligence behind the technology, right? Oh, uh, okay. And yeah. Here behind the computer screen is some sort of intelligence that wants the worst for them. That's what I think, and that's what people are asking. They 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 sense that there is some sort of person inside the computer that just wants the worst for their lives and is pushing the technology onto them and forcing them to. But man, I mean, really, don't you think people are like? are just sort of joking like my mom Whenever time she's like she gets
1: she gets really frustrated she'll like call me and she'll be like i don't know why google chrome is doing this you know and like she goes i think it just hates me <laughs> right but
0: but people are actually putting it into google yeah they're asking this question and wanting to know like i agree i think it is a little bit playful but there is this sense of like it feels like there's this intelligence there's this agency and that technology that the internet, let's say, has a feeling, not not a feeling towards you, but just like is so difficult and so complicated. You and I kind of live in the internet space more than a lot of people. And I think there are a lot of people who are not tech minded. I mean, I'm not a tech savvy person, but I'm more tech savvy than than (laughs) plenty of people as well. And so these technical systems require you to sort of develop skills, even just to like figure out how to use Zoom, right? Like right. there are people who had to learn how to use Zoom for the first time during the pandemic. And yeah. they were like, I've never done this. This is baffling. To right, me. right, right. And so like... Which it's- is baffling to me because, you know, I've been using it for like longer
1: than I can talk or walk. But, you know, <laughs> but right. Yeah, there is a portion of the population
0: right. that that feels really new to. It requires you to have a new kind of mindset. So the analogy that I think of is like when you learn to drive... Like Mm -hmm. you have to take driver's ed. You have to learn what the signs mean. Right. What the etiquette is with other drivers. You have to develop a map inside your head, but you have to pay attention to what's in front of you, not beside you. Right. You have to develop this mindset. Yeah. And I think technology, let's say digital technology, internet technology also requires a certain level of training and learning. And we've sort of learned that language and learned how to, be trained into that and so we develop a mindset and a way of thinking and there are people that live in the world who don't have that training it's like a cultural norming too
1: one of my earliest jobs right was training for microsoft trainings like official microsoft trainings i was the trainer in the room wearing a tie talking to four (laughs) to five hundred people and i remember i would train nurses And nurses were in there learning Microsoft Outlook for the first time. (laughs) And I would have a room of like 50 nurses. Okay. I mean, at a time. And they're all sitting in front of computer terminals and rows. And I'm in front. And I have a big screen. And I'm showing people, let's move our mouse up to the file menu. And there was phrases that Microsoft wanted you to use. So you do not say, you'd say point to file, point to new, not click. Like there was ways we did it. But I always had a few people, and this is 20 years ago, but didn't know like a mouse.
0: Okay. Wow. Like
1: which I was like what, <laughs> and so they needed training, but it was almost like they're part of a different culture. Yeah. They didn't have all the things that we were assuming. Oh, like a square box looks like a checkmark box and a round box looks like a select box. Well, that doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. But all our computers work that way. We don't even put that into a training manual, right? It's called a combo box or a select box in the technical terms. Select boxes where you can only choose one or you can only choose the other are typically round Mm -hmm. in our interfaces. And Mm -hmm. I can put a little dot in one or I can put a little dot in the other. Right. There were people that didn't have that cultural... Like, it was so invisible to us. The, for the people that were in the culture, they actually could barely understand why someone couldn't have that.
0: Yeah. And I remember the last time I kind of felt that disorientation was when I started using TikTok. TikTok. for like the first week or two i'm i'm the generational difference it's just like this question of like what am i looking at what's even happening what are these things on the side yeah you know and it's just it's utterly confusing until you kind of learn the signs and you learn the stop signs and the yield signs and the likes like buttons and blah 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 even with autocomplete like what am i looking at what what is this list why does this list come up you know you're right We have sort of an assumption. Yeah. There's there's nothing to suggest or indicate that. You just have to somehow learn, uh, maybe by asking Google, why why does technology hate me? (laughs) And then you can get the answer. (laughs) Okay, Chris, here's my first question for you.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm
0: Mm-hmm. Is technology... Making us dumber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I know what answer you want. <laughs> is technology
1: making us dumber? Oh, I love this question. Isn't it I'm fantastic? so glad you, so
0: people type in is technology and it fills in, making Again, us dumber. <laughs> it's, it is, this is a felt question that people have and people are wondering. Okay,
1: I have so many thoughts on this. Here's my answer. The short answer, no. <laughs> LOL, no. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> on the record cut, cut to the next <laughs> next question it's not making us dumber but a lot of people think it is and mm. two books that come to mind that you and I have talked about one is Neil Postman's book from the 1980s mm, called yeah. "Amusing Ourselves to Death yeah right and his whole thing Neil Postman was a New York professor that wrote about technology but he also wrote a lot about education we'll get back to that yeah and he thinks TV is rotting our brains
0: <laughs> oh he was right <laughs> <laughs>
1: And for Postman, if you read Amusing Ourselves to Death, or I recommend Technopoly as a better book by him, but TV was making us less capable of rational thought. Yeah. Like books... And the printed word were the medium of thinking and mm. learning. And for him, also, that being rational was the source of morality. And he was a, a devout Jew. And so, like, what God says, huh. you can't be moral unless you're
0: rational, and you can't huh. be rational unless you're reading books. Oh, man. Right? And he does this. I mean. <laughs> so, so TV has led to the decline and fall of morality in the United States and the rest of 100%. the
1: world. 100%. I mean, he did, like, in his books, and you probably remember this, but he did. The Talk about the second commandment against making graven images, and he's like, huh. "See, huh. God doesn't like images.
0: Huh. Images are <laughs> going to rot the brain." Um, so, so not only is technology making us dumber, it's also making us immoral.
1: Exactly, it's like all link. In fact, but he's, he's
0: making this argument, but you're saying no. Well, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, he saw TV at that point. It's brand communism because communism was the big boogeyman at the time. (laughs) But part of me like really gets into it. You know, he's very clever. At the beginning of the book, he talks about these dystopian science fiction novels, right. 1984. Right. And Adalux Adela- how do you say his name? Adelox Huxley's? Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, you know? Yeah. In 1984, it was about a dictators and banning big, big things. Big brother. Banning books. Yeah. In Brave New World, his fear was like they didn't need to ban books because no one would even want to read a book. Right. Everyone's into entertainment.
0: Right. And he's like, right.
1: that's what's happening. So, I mean, I'm talking about, isn't making us dumb? He even gets into this, like, he talks about trivial pursuit games. In fact, actually, <laughs> like, last Thursday, I went and hung out with some friends and we went to a bar and they were doing, like, one of the trivia nights, you okay. know, where they just ask you questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it always seems to be about Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right, you know? Right, right,
0: right. <laughs> Something TV. And then there's a section on science and everybody goes, science! <laughs> Oh, so yeah. you've done it more than I have. Yeah. I had like had
1: not done it a lot. They asked like one history. I'm like, guys, I am not going to be helpful because I know theology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's theology yeah. or technology, I will help. Okay, okay. keep going. But, but I'm just saying Neil Postman says that we get these all these quiz shows and, like, and Trivial Pursuit Games as an example of how we think we're being smart. Mm. But we're really just asking ourselves so it's a it's a shell. It's a cloud I think he calls it a cloud castle of being smart, but we're actually losing the
0: sort of deep knowledge. Mm. That's sad because I'm really good at trivial pursuit. <laughs> so right. I just have the shell of knowledge.
1: Right, right, right. <laughs> And then, you know, another big book is Nicholas Carr, The Shallows, right? right? What is it? The subtitle is What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains. Yes. And he uses brain science and his brain scans. It's like, oh, we're searching and we're scrolling and it's rewiring our brains.
0: Right. And that was... Kind of based on his famous, I think, Atlantic article, Is Google Making Us Stupid? Wait, oh, we Which talked is another about article, version of long this time question, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, from like 2007. And honestly, if you read his book, it's very good.
1: It's worth reading. But even though he's using a lot of brain science, brain scan stuff, uh-huh. really he makes the same arguments as Neil Postman. and even cites him. He's just like, updating it. It's sort of like the books are better for us, you know? I am ultimately unconvinced by both of them. Interesting. Yeah. So
0: you've just made a huge case that (laughs) yes, it is, but now you're
1: going to go in the other direction. Correct. Well, one, like Neil Postman likes to link this to theology and says, God wrote his word and the word was, you know, the first, but actually Mm. if you really look at the history, it's like God used image and speech to communicate himself to people. Like we have it written down quite a bit later. And so, uh, you know, images and signs and stones piled up and signs in the sky and Hmm. the voice of God and the oracles of the prophets, oracles as a voice. Yeah. These are the word of the Lord. If we want to talk about that kind of thing, signs from God. Okay. So postman, we don't have to go with postman's argument, but he is sort of saying, well, God communicates with the word. That's the rational thing. But actually God communicated with voice and Hmm. among people and among language I mean, Postman's really smart. He actually admits he's like paintings are like three times older than the written word. And he's right. But he's like, but the photograph, the photograph is what really killed us (laughs) because it it got everywhere. Everyone got into it. Newspapers and photographs. But I'm just thinking, well, that kind of argument applies to the Internet, applies to other technologies when it floods us. The photographs flood us. The words flood us. Right. We do have changes. Right. We are changing in our brain. The bottom line is I think our intelligence is changing, yeah. but it's not dumber. It's a different kind of intelligence. Okay. It's pattern recognition. When our parents were taught to go do a research paper, they went like, you know, here's the books in the library you right. can use and you cite the author and the year and then this book. Right. Now we have so much information to search for. We need Mm -hmm. to figure out patterns and put together data points. I mean, Mm -hmm. YouTube, Mm -hmm. as cheesy as that is, Mm -hmm. is one of the greatest encyclopedias of how to do anything Mm -hmm. than we've ever had in the history of the world. Like, Mm -hmm. you can learn anything from flute to how to fix your refrigerator (laughs) to another language. And it's not coming from nowhere People are making that knowledge and putting it online.
0: Yeah. People that know these things. Yeah. So, you know, one way you could look at it is to say the internet isn't making us dumber, but there's so much information out there now that we can't know at all. And we only know a small proportion of total knowledge. Right. Whereas a thousand years ago, you could literally know everything that humans had (laughs) <laughs> Put in books, read every book within your lifetime and have well, all the knowledge. Well, every book that was nearby you, right. but yes, right. You yeah. could conceivably be a comprehensive expert. Now you can't even be an expert about beanie babies. Like <laughs> there's just so many of them or Pokemon cards. <laughs> oh gosh. Well, every eight year old still is for some reason. Yeah. Right. I think there are two reasons why
1: people are actually typing that phrase is technology making us stummer. Yeah. I think cause they feel it in some ways, you know, and yeah. Nicholas Carr, when he writes that Shallows book, he writes like, I used to be an author. I used to right. be able to write and read these long articles. And now I just feel constantly like I just flip between things never mind that he wrote a 400 page book about the topic (laughs) right and never mind by the way that to make technology listen to this point to make technology it takes a lot of freaking smarts to make new technologies there are tons of people making new iphones and new artificial intelligence and machine learning are a little bit self-contradictory if we think we talk about the technology making us dumber Mm -hmm. while we're in like one of the greatest technology accelerations of all time Mm -hmm. however I think people feel this because two things. One, I think there's a big generational gap. And just like we were talking about, does technology hate me? The older generation was not educated for the kind of information technologies we have now. Yeah, for sure. And I think they are less good at critical thinking and I'll just be really direct. Like I've seen lots of like conspiracy theories pop up and even in my family Mm -hmm. and other things I go, that's not very rational. That doesn't seem right to me. And, I find that it's people that are not very good at sorting through the piles of information coming towards them. I was looking up cable television news. The average age of all cable television news, regardless of the network, is like 65 years
0: old. Interesting.
1: Okay. Of the viewers. Because that used to be the way we get information. Like I almost yeah. n- I almost never watch TV news, yeah. right? And Gen Z doesn't at all. I think there's going to be a big change, <laughs> a sea shift in mm-hmm. people that are more used to
0: surfing epistemologically
1: in yeah. the culture yeah. and
0: knowledge as that changes. So you're saying the generational change, there's a older, the older generation was not dumber. They're just not used to this information. Environment. Right. They, they haven't learned how to drive the internet car. Yeah. That, to use you know, that sort good. of driver's ed analogy. They, yeah, they, didn't, totally. they didn't get the chance to sort of learn how to navigate that information.
1: Yeah. The last thing I'll say in this is Are we getting dumber because of technology? No. However, do I think as society we might be getting dumber in a media technology and environment? A little different question, okay. actually. And I might say yes. Oh, that's Not interesting. Not because intelligence is changing, but I think our media frameworks have created a type of groupthink. Groups are essential for thinking. We think actually in groups. So you can't be just an individualist, actually. However, th- there are biases that happen in social media and other frames that create groupthink that maybe
0: is not rational. That's probably a whole other episode. Yeah. You're <laughs> saying it's a matter of scale. As an individual, we may not be getting dumber, but as a society, we might be.
1: Yeah, exactly. All so, right. put a pin in that for later. <laughs> okay, Adam, you ready for your next big one? Hit me. you Did technology come from?
0: Where did technology come from? Yep, yep. All right. <laughs> I guess people ask this. Yeah. My mommy it, it, and my daddy. No, that, that answer does not work here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, th- this is an interesting question because it oh, it almost assumes that technology had this sort of unseen hand that was guiding history to this point mm, in time mm. where all of a sudden it handed technology like like fire to Prometheus. <laughs> Or whatever. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Right. Prometheus gave fire, right? Yeah. And like, it was just handed down from on high. I think maybe there's probably two ways you can approach this, at least for me as a Christian. Some people might say tech- technology came from God, okay, right? Right. They might say, you know. No, God created a garden, Adam. Sorry. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And so like technology is sort of this collision of natural resources and human knowledge yeah so humans take their knowledge and they apply it to the natural resources around them but that god created both natural resources and human knowledge got it you know so the smartphone has like 60 periodic elements like lithium and yeah blah 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 hydrogen uh Uh, side note did you know krypton is an actual element
1: i thought it was just from superman (laughs) (laughs) do you know where i learned that the bar trivia that's
0: fantastic (laughs) anyway
1: Uh. yeah Yeah, like so many elements that are in a smartphone and it's this combination of everything we've learned in
0: science putting together in this piece right but also it includes these somewhat mysterious elements of electricity and magnetism oh yeah that we Mm -hmm. sort of understand but honestly don't totally understand and so like god brings in these forces of electricity and magnetism to our world and we make something of them called a smartphone and communication systems infrastructure all of that right so that's the case for god technology came from god it sounds a lot like what tony Ranky was talking about in the book Mm -hmm. when we talked to him a few episodes ago god made creation and he made creatures who could make something of creation right the alternate would be it came from human sinfulness Oh, so yeah, yeah. humans living in rebellion against God chose to uh, build yep. technology because they wanted to live. In they wanted sec- to
1: be like God. They, they wanted
0: to be like God. This is the they battle. also wanted to live in security apart from God. Uh, okay. They wanted to create their own heaven on earth. Yeah. Let's say. Yeah. And that story is a story of Cain. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh. Okay. Adam and Eve have a son named Cain. He kills Abel. Yeah. And then he's cast out of eden and he lives in the land east of eden in the land of nod you know he was cursed to wander the earth yeah but what's interesting is he doesn't actually wander the earth he actually settles in a land and he founds a city and it's the first time a city is mentioned and he names that after his son enoch and then oh his great great grandson lamech has three sons and it says his three sons were the first to do livestock and live in tents. They were the first to play the harp and the flute, so oh. music. And we are really getting into this now. Uh-huh. We're really getting it's like into the this. Old Testament technology yes. tree. Uh-huh. Just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We'll keep it light, yeah, yeah, though. Yeah, and then his his third son became an expert in forging tools of bronze and iron. Oh, right. Okay. But here you have Cain's lineage. Cain is living apart from God. He's living in the city trying to secure his own life in order to live in security apart from God. He doesn't want anything to do with God, but he develops technology to do it, to protect himself, to care for himself, to right. take care of his needs, to raise livestock, to live in tents. So technology is a way to live without God almost. Right. So there's the one side that says, Hey, Hey, Technology comes from God. Yeah. And there's the other side that says, no, technology comes from human rebellion against God. Yeah. I, I want to sort of take that as a narrative, right? I would say actually that technology does come from God, but that humans have twisted it. But then there's the story of Bezalel mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Exodus 31. And Bezalel is the first person after Noah to give given the spirit of God. It's not Abraham, it's not Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, it's not Moses, it's a guy that no one remembers named <laughs> Bezalel, and he's given the Spirit of God to be a craftsman, to build furniture for the tabernacle, the water basin, and the altar. He, yeah, he's he's right? given all these skills, right? Right, yeah. So we have this narrative going through of, of God de- creating technology, giving us the resources, us taking what God has given Twisting it, but then God coming in and saying, I'm going to give my spirit to someone who can craft technology for, and this is important, for the worship of God. Right. And so Bezalel is inspired, is inspirited with God's spirit to develop technology for the glory of God. And to me, that is that redemptive turn that God makes that frames how we think about not only where technology came from, but also what it's intended for. Mm -hmm. It's intended to bring glory to God. You know, Romans, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Technology comes from him. It comes through him, but it's also given back to him. Technology comes from God. Yes, humanity has twisted it, but God has given us a means to give it back to God from whom it came what do you think (laughs) (laughs) wow
1: that's funny because this is the very theological answer to this question which which is really good my brain at first was thinking you know historical answer which technologies were first things for animals and then agriculture and then you get to like the ages of iron and bronze actually that's interesting when you just said that about the old testament passage the sun doing both iron and bronze well we actually know those were pretty different times, but it's probably was actually maybe a little summarized in in that, like this is where those kind of tools and weapons come from. But that's a really good summary of is technology fundamentally from the creator god who gave it as a gift or from the curse as people moving away from technology and now that's all what it's still doing it does really frame everything we see now
0: well you know me Uh, i tend always to go back to ultimate foundations yeah (laughs) it can be a little bit of a headache sometimes (laughs) but rather than covering the history of technology which is a long and And illustrious and interesting history right, right I just decided to go all Makes me all wonder the way back. did you actually look at any of the Google answers for what came up for uh-uh, that? Uh, I
1: didn't. Because that'd be, <laughs> <laughs> it'd be really interesting because you're right. That'd be like it's such a long and involved answer. Technology is really applied science. The starting point is almost impossible. To, it feels like as soon as human beings, I mean, in the Bible, we and I have talked about this, clothes might be the
0: first technology we hear right. in the bi- biblical right. narrative. And right. So, all right, Chris, are you ready for your second question? Uh, okay. Yes. What do the people want to know? Where has technology gone wrong? (laughs) You just... I I know you're kind of pro-technology, but I want to hear, what do you think? Do you have opinions about ways that technology has gone wrong? I don't this might have auto-completed, or Adam's just like, I'll pretend this happened so I can get him. I have evidence. I have a screenshot, I promise. (laughs) Okay, okay, okay.
1: (laughs) Where has technology gone wrong? Okay. <clears throat> well, there's a lot of ways this question could go. I know you're just trying to get me to say bad things about technology. I will not. No, I'm kidding. Of course I would. But I am, you know, the kind of person like you were just talking about that thinks God embedded technology sort of in the good of creation. But obviously I do think that there was also like a Mm. fall in sin. And Mm. so things can go wrong. But I mean, it's like, what were people searching for on this? Like at first I was like, are we talking about failed experiments? I actually clicked through for the results of this. I went back to Google. Yeah, that's cool. What's coming up. So all these articles come up, a lot of them wind up being the results of like, um, tech that people made fun of like the apple newton you remember Frankly, this it was no, in 1993 don't. it was like a very early like smartphone It had like a oh really you don't know about this it was like an ipad really. smartphone thing it was really thick it had a stylus yeah huh? steve jobs huh? like tried to launch this apple and everyone just made fun of it because no it was and it was essentially too early for its time huh. now that we have the iphone and the ipad and everything that's happened since everyone sees it as like this <laughs> this profit this early thing but yeah. at the time he was just like that's so stupid it Like technology went wrong, meaning like inventions that sort of never happened, like they tried and it failed. And like Time Magazine had one that was all these things or Computer World also had an argument about Windows 311 and Napster and (laughs) AOL and the BlackBerry and Netscape, you know, all these old brand names that we think of recent technology. And I'm like, none of these are technology gone wrong. They're like, they're technology that we all built on our next technologies on yeah i mean yeah. netscape navigator which by the way was invented at university of illinois yeah. urbana champaign my alma mater ILO, was... are you
0: getting are you getting <laughs> kickbacks for these yeah, i know right, right.
1: <laughs> was that a plug i mean like netscape navigator was the web browser that i used in college and <laughs> Chris, you're sold. So <laughs> but i mean it built the modern sort of standard for what we have now yeah and So that's not a fail. That was like, you know, Napster wasn't a fail. Napster was this amazing peer to peer sharing thing. Like our music suddenly went into one standard format, MP3. I mean. Yeah. So these are hardly failures. The Segway was on some of these lists. And like, I mean, yeah, it never caught on. The cities of the future, there were videos of everyone on these two-wheeled, like, upright things yeah, around like yeah, a yeah, glowing yeah. city. But you know what has caught on? Electric scooters. Yeah, and Segway is actually one of the largest makers
0: of electric no scooters now. Huh. Yeah. Like a lot of the same technology. We did an episode on electric scooters. Oh, you true. can check it out in our- micro mobility Archives. <laughs> Good plug. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. Those are inventions that quote unquote gone on. Wrong, but they really didn't. So maybe it's something else. Like maybe our mind goes to tech that like feels sort of evil. Mm. Like where did right. the technology go wrong? Like dun 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 dun. <laughs> you know, like the technology of war, of weapons, mm-hmm. um, of tanks, of nuclear bombs. Mm-hmm. Or if you want to go a little bit more old school, the stirrup. The horse storm, ooh, right? Which is ooh, why that's deep cut <laughs> that had to do with cavalries that were fighting each other. And the ones that had stirrups could ground their feet into the bottom of the horse and then like ram with their, yeah. their ramming thing. What, what, is, <laughs> what is the joust? The joust. Or? Like you can go to the art institute in Chicago and see the old jousts, huh, huh. And they were so much more powerful. Because they were like rooted on the horse and so they could plow through someone as opposed to someone that tried to swing a <laughs> sword with no root and they were not as powerful. So the stirrup yeah, became this yeah. weapon
0: of war. It created yeah. feudalism in, in Middle Ages. I realize it's not a joust. It's a lance.
1: Oh, a lance. There yeah. you go.
0: And there's a... Gr- <laughs> <laughs> Wait, <do> you- <laughs> did, did you see... Uh, did, you remember the movie A Knight's Tale with uh, Heath Ledger? Okay. Okay, I'm it's let fantastic. You, I'm let you die Just let me go. Let me go. There's a, there's a moment where the girl says better a girl with a flower than a boy on a horse with a stick and the other guy's like it's called a lance hello <laughs> <laughs> and i feel like that moment applies to us right here because it's not a joust it's called a lance hello great movie You should. i'm so, so glad i don't know that <laughs> but just these weapons of war right yeah. like or
1: even gunpowder and of course the nuclear bomb you know i, I was reminded Henry Nouwen, the spiritualist writer who wrote a lot of the things about discipleship, you know, he wrote the book that was really popular by him, The Wounded Healer. Mm-hmm. And I think everyone loves that title. Less people have actually read the book, I think. <laughs> right. And I love the title. But when I actually read the book, I was like, what is he talking about? Because he spends a lot of time talking about the Cold War. Really? Yeah, it's weird. What you realize is he's writing at a time, like I think it was late 60s, early 70s. Someone will correct me on the year. Where mutually assured destruction right is a phrase that's happening nuclear standoff between the United States and the u s s r right, and people are feeling low level anxiety. Hmm. And this Mm. technology, it's like you and I have talked about the gunman, how the presence of a gun in a situation affects everything. The presence of the nuclear bombs was affecting the whole world and everyone is thinking about it in a way. It's funny, we still have it today, but we don't think about it as much, maybe. And so he's writing a book really helping people, like, how do we stay calm and Mm. not anxious Mm. in Mm. a world that has this nuclear tension? Mm. Maybe that's technology that's gone wrong. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. So war, but I guess I was thinking about what that was. I was thinking about sort of any tech that becomes bigger or more powerful than we can control. Hmm. Hmm. We start worrying about now. The hard thing is a smartphone might actually be <laughs> more powerful than we can control. At least it's more than we know, yeah, right? That's but I mean. Good. We think about viruses but whether it's a computer virus or like a biological virus like did covid come from a lab you know i don't yeah. think so it looks like not but also there were real scientists that were really thought like well that yeah can really there are biohazards you know? out there right of- you know personalized advertising data has gone sort of beyond <laughs> mm. what almost any individual people are like oh this is a lot you mm-hmm. know there's tiktok you know <laughs> like <laughs> right. what, beyond right. what any person can control and we you know every sci-fi novel has ai that takes over the world you know and yeah. that's what we feel is this technology
0: that we lose control over. Hmm. Hmm. I really appreciate that perspective, even in light of our previous conversation that technology comes from God, humans twist it in an effort to live apart from God, but then we become afraid that it's going to exceed our grasp, exceed our own control, and that we become somehow subject to it and subjugated by it. We become afraid of this thing that we've created, this Frankenstein's monster, so to speak.
1: It, I'm sympathetic to this. I am also don't think it's totally the right frame in the sense that all technologies are going to be a little bit beyond us. And actually, if we try to become them, oh, we're going to reassure our mastery mm. over the technology, we wind up being in a battle for... Us versus our creation, in terms yeah. of who's in charge versus like sort of having a theological worldview where God is the one that's in charge. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I think maybe these big sci fi pictures of AI that destroys the world are a little bit of the red herring meat that distracts us from the fact that all technology. Has unintended consequences, right? All technologies that are created, that the ones that are really benign, mm-hmm. um, are the ones that seemingly like do like really dramatic things.
0: Yeah, I mean, you would think that a smartphone or social media is relatively a benign technology, and yet we do see unintended consequences from it, and we do feel it out of control. We feel right it surveilling us and driving misinformation and disinformation, right? This thing that's not a nuclear bomb, but has negative consequences, even so, you know, it wasn't intended to do harm, but yet harm has come from it.
1: And these things aren't always obvious. We can't really see it right away. We usually see the effects later. Yeah. And what I want to say is technology that reduces human flourishing, reduces mm-hmm. the way that mm-hmm. God intended us to be, mm-hmm. is the kind of technology that's where it's gone wrong. There's a whole other question on is it possible to reverse those things? And can we make technology that's gone wrong go right? And that's probably another episode we should write down too. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, and I think to go back to that worship framework, if we were to think about developing technology in a way that glorifies God, we're going to develop different technology. And we're also maybe going to be slower in our research and development process in asking those questions of what are the unintended consequences and would perhaps help us avoid some of those risks in the long run. Okay, Adam, so
1: what if typing technology disappeared?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What if technology disappeared? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, this is... (laughs) You and I have a broad scope of what technology means. And so the idea... Of technology disappearing almost feels nonsensical, and, and so <laughs> right. you know. As yeah, I, I don't know
1: what the questioner is thinking, right?
0: <laughs> and, yeah. So, what's the person asking? And you know, there's that famous quote: "Technology is anything that was invented after you were born." Yeah. Right, and anything after you were thirty is clearly the causing the end of the world. <laughs> um, there you go. So I'm going to narrow it a little bit. Okay. And, yeah. You know, yeah. to this: What if digital? Okay. What,
1: yeah, that's a good what question. Now, digital
0: technology. Okay. disappeared so there's sort of this apocalyptic notion of like what would be left if digital technology disappeared like how would we live how would we buy our groceries if we can't buy them on amazon i mean literally i have no idea right like we we would be at a <laughs> loss <laughs> okay we would jump back and have to like retrieve previous in- infrastructure and you know how would we communicate we might have to use the uh CB
1: radios. I mean, that's how my grandma did it. We we talked to truckers on the. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
0: I was thinking about the Pony Express. We would have to go back to the Pony (laughs) Express, right? (laughs) I recently was listening to the book "Team of Rivals." Okay, which is about Abraham Lincoln and his cabinet.
1: Oh, interesting. So he
0: like appointed to his cabinet all of his own rivals that ran for president. It's written by a woman named Doris Kearns Goodwin. The reason she wrote the book was that she had access to all their letters. And so she yeah. was able to kind of c- construct this narrative, right? And I thought, today, what would a historian from 150 years from now have of ours that would be able to construct a narrative around life during the pandemic, right? Yeah, sure. And and I thought, we don't really know that digital technology will have sort of this long-term sustainable structure, that it will be sustainable In providing a history. So I kind of turned around the question and asked myself, what if digital technology doesn't disappear? If we don't have these handwritten letters, if we don't have this paper-based serial culture that is evidence of what we're doing, how we're communicating, if all they have are digital echoes of our activity online, will they be able to access my email? You know, <laughs> will my text message history even be available to people 150 years from now? Yeah. I kind of don't think so. So, my first answer that's a roundabout, you know, if digital technology disappeared, we would get history back. Because history works for paper, but not for digital. That's what? <laughs> that's sort of the argument I'm making. Yes. Okay. Okay. That, that paper is a more durable form of history than digital technologies are. That's my that's my first statement. I mean, have you heard of acid-free paper? But I mean, yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, okay.
0: Yeah, no. I'll let I, you have it. You'll let me have it. All right, <laughs> thank you.
1: I mean, definitely, like, I find old word processor files, even like from Word 2000, I think I found some old files on a disk. Right. And I had a lot
0: of trouble opening them. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. That That's fair. And, you know, I thought, okay, if Abraham Lincoln were running the country today, he would probably assemble his team of rivals over Zoom, and they would have all these Zoom conversations. Unless you record the Zoom call, that goes into the ether and disappears, right? All, all of the dialogue that he had with Seward, with Stanton, okay. with his well, whole cabinet, I mean, it, it just, it sort of evaporates. Now, I'm not- They s- do record them now, and they do go to the Library of
1: Congress, but well, they go to the presidential archives, Yeah, unless Trump deleted them, but that's the a- <laughs> one which yeah, he, and he it, actually I did. assume
0: it's in a digital form. Uh, yeah, I And I would that. assume also that they are updating that digital form over time or making it possible to access those formats. Right. That's the hard part, right? You have to have an archivist or right. a librarian
1: figuring out how to continually update those yeah. formats. So, but, yeah.
0: And for the average person, that's probably not going to happen. But,
1: but I mean, think about pieces of paper that have middle English on them. Like the only reason we can interpret them. If we even have the paper, is because we did have to go back and update and figure out how to translate them anyway. Sure, sort of. So we we have done that over time. And have, we've had to do that because of the older technology. But I guess I'm sort of with you. You there.
0: have to have a person who translates it, who updates the old English technology into our current language to even be able to access it and understand its meaning.
1: Yeah. I, 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 so I appreciate tankerous. that. Okay, okay, okay.
0: So. If digital technology disappeared, we would get our history back. The other thing I'll say, and this is maybe just a last point, is if digital technology disappeared, we would get our identities back. Ooh. I'm totally riffing on someone we've mentioned here multiple times, Michael Sicassis. Just this week, he was he was tweeting about this, and he quoted Hannah Arendt, who's a philosopher yeah. from the 20th century. She proposed that a stable material culture anchors our identity. And you might disagree with that, which is fine. But this idea that we need material culture, our clothes somehow represent our identity, our writing, our our cars represent our identity—all these material, tangible things are ways that we represent ourselves. Yeah. And sure, he asked. So, in a virtual space where much of what we do happens virtually, what happens to our identities? And my thought is they become more fluid. And our identities become much more in motion, less structured, easier to change, perhaps. You know, the, the idea of a personal brand, sure. we, we kind sure. of might do the brand update at some point, you know, but our identities are, are also tied into our communities. You know, those communities are are fairly stable, perhaps, but even through the pandemic we've seen how lots of relationships have disappeared those relationships we have with acquaintances for example so if digital technology disappeared we would get our identities back we would move back to these more tangible material culture forms and we would have a more stable identity what do you think well i don't i mean i don't think
1: we have immaterial identities now i mean i'm wearing clothes now so are you I think that's potentially, I didn't read Saccas's thing, but reductionistic to talk about digital versus or digital instead of as opposed to digital and, which is the better description of the way the world works. Only in a completely metaverse pushed on Mm, a really mm, far mm, side mm, of it mm. do we have like, we live in digital only worlds. Our identities still are formed by our friends and family and barbecue in the evenings (laughs) and the clothes we buy at the store. And bicycles and neighborhood cookouts. I, I'm thinking a lot of recent images. So yeah, 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 yeah. if technology disappeared, like we'd get our identities back. I think our identities are still formed materially. And in addition, they're formed digitally. Yeah. I also not sure our digital identities are as ephemeral as it seems. It used to be in the, like we've said this before, early internet identity days, you could sort of be anything you wanted. You sort of made up your name. My name is Juniper4522. <laughs> and it's was like, And now our real names and identities, the reason why teenagers are so much more careful about putting things on Facebook as opposed to Snapchat is because they think it'll go with them for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And that's what most people think, that their idea that they know employers or future spouses or other things will find old things of the past. And so their digital identity, they assume will follow them. Mm -hmm. And so that's my pushback on
0: those things. I'd certainly appreciate the idea that it's not, either material culture or virtual culture that is providing our identities. It's a little bit of both. I'm glad I did get the point on the history, and you'll give me that to some degree. (laughs) But that was my answer to what if technology disappeared? All right, Chris, I have one last question for you. Mm -hmm. I asked you two questions that were sort of counterintuitive for you and served my own purposes but i'm gonna throw you a bone with this one all right oh i see this is something i know you care about and love how did technology improve city life
1: Ooh! (laughs) how did it improve city life let us count the ways
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know, I live in the suburbs, you live in the city. And so we have a bit of a disagreement about the <laughs> virtues of city life and suburban life. So tell me.
1: Or another way to put this would be, how did city life improve technology? Ooh, <laughs> um, Which is also an interesting question. Oh man, let's talk about city technologies a little bit because there's so many. I was trying to think about what is the most important technology for cities? Yeah. A very difficult question. <laughs> I think it might be
0: sewers. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> no question.
1: <laughs> I'm not kidding. So I was actually thinking a lot about Chicago, the city I'm from. Yep. My, you know, my great grandfather became a citizen in the city. Mm-hmm. My grandmother and her five Polish sisters grew up in the city, and so yep. I have family history here. So I've loved learning about the history. And so there's all sorts of things that, that I was thinking about: streetcars and skyscrapers oh, yeah. come from Chicago, and a lot of other stuff. I want to hit a few, but but one is water. Mm. Chicago is really big for water. The sewer thing was a big, big problem when cities were forming in, like yeah, in old yeah. days, right? And in the 1850s, it got so bad in Chicago. So, I mean, Chicago's built on a swamp. Right. It's built by Lake <laughs> Michigan. Like, they didn't really think about it. There's water table right below it. And so they're building out all this city. Everything becomes mud. There's horses, there's yeah. mud puddles, and there's
0: poop. Yeah. There's so much poop. Right. The Chicago <laughs> River was flowing into this swampy area, into Lake Michigan, Right. And that kind of created that swamp. Correct. Yeah. They're building on it and it's just. Well, there's
1: two two big things they do to do this. And one is the Chicago River. They actually, right. All the poop is flowing out into (laughs) Lake
0: Michigan. Lake Michigan Michigan is the And we are
1: also getting our drinking water from Lake Michigan and it's (laughs) dirty and they don't know how to do it. And they start the largest public works project in the United States at the time Wow, and decide to reverse the flow of the Chicago River so it does not flow out into Lake. Michigan, but instead flows the other direction all the way across the state of Illinois out into the Mississippi. That's crazy. In And they built this canal. And now it's called the I&M Canal uh, that essentially channeled the water the other direction. They used engineering. They used the way yeah. water flows. They used locks. And it changed the way the poop flowed. It <laughs> flowed down the Mississippi, which oh is, which we could just do metaphors, and so that really changed the quality of the drinking water and allowed Chicago to expand. But the other huh. thing was the sewers. So they built it on the swamp. They had no place to put sewer pipes in the 1850s. There was right. a cholera. I just looked this up. There was a cholera outbreak that was so bad it killed one in twenty residents. Compared, wow. to, compared to COVID, it's compared right. way, way more people killed. So 5%. So, I mean, it's really dangerous. So they had to do this. They tried covering the streets with wood to see what would help, like put down boards in every street. Oh, And it did not help. It still was like poop, you know, <laughs> Pooping, poop and mud. So they realized they needed a real sewer system. And so Chicago, instead of like, well, we can't do this here, we've got to build a city somewhere else. They're like, no, we're going to raise the city up by 10 to 15 feet everywhere. We're going to take every house, every building, and we're going to raise it
0: up. Right. Including all the streets and put sewer lines underneath. And that's exactly what they did. And isn't that why some buildings have a garden level apartment? That's exactly
1: right. Some of them, they didn't raise the building. And so the second floor became the first floor. Right. Yeah. they raised every street, like they literally used jack screws, hydraulic lifts. I was reading about one place where they raised an entire block between Lake Clark and LaSalle streets right downtown. They put 6,000 jack screws under there. And no way. <laughs> 35,000 tons in weight and raised the whole oh. block over four days. Oh I can't my even gosh. picture this. Over four days? Yeah. They lifted, it. They put wow. the buildings, sidewalks, and all so that's crazy right so they built a sewer that was a huge technology
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and without it chicago probably doesn't exist today seriously i just have to say like the 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 vision you have to say not only we're gonna raise the city 10 to 15 feet but we're going to reverse the river I know. The audacity of that is just mind-boggling. It's a city of big shoulders, you know. <laughs> I mean, so
1: water is not the thing that people first think of with tech, but water was huge to build the city. Absolutely. And, and, and really the sewer system was also, I know in Seattle and other major cities yeah. they had to do similar things. Yeah. The biggest one for Chicago is the skyscraper. Chicago is known as the home mm. of the skyscraper. Right? Right. Before New York, uh we essentially figured out how structural steel worked. And mm. like the famous building is in eighteen eighty-five, there was a building called the Home. Insurance building downtown it was the first steel-framed skyscraper, which really? let you actually, like, now you can't go see it now. It was demolished. So oh, really? So, okay. Yeah, but there's other buildings in downtown that are almost as old. And before that, we built things with cement. And you could only build so high. And there was two pieces of technology, huh. right? Like cement or like- it's just a, too heavy at some It's point. not even cement. It was with the plaster and things. You know, yeah, yeah. the building wouldn't get too heavy. You would be limited to a certain number of levels. And also, right. if you think about this, this was before the elevator. Right. And so no one wants to walk up 10 flights of stairs every single time or 20 flights of stairs. It becomes almost impossible. And so so practically, we didn't build taller buildings. So
0: elevators really made skyscrapers possible.
1: Elevators and steel. And I guess steel Mm. was this, you know, it's a metal technology. It was better than iron. It was stronger and Mm. way, way lighter. In 1856, something called the Bessemer Converter was created. I don't know what that is, <laughs> but it made rolling out steel into these big sort of beams huh. possible. And that's what led you to build a skyscraper. But I mean, the thing that really made the skyscraper mm-hmm. is a negative. It was the Chicago fire in 1871. Oh, interesting. The famous Chicago fire sweeps across the city. Okay, 17,000 buildings are destroyed. Wow. And now we've got to rebuild. Well, we have steel now. Mm. We just got it. So. Wood is out and we're making laws against wood. We like, we don't want wood. We're <laughs> over wood. And so we start making buildings have to be fireproof. So suddenly we get all these steel interesting, uh structures and we become the home. And eventually, of course, of the Sears Tower, which is like in the 70s, you know, I mean, yeah. it's like yeah. awesome it becomes the tallest building in the world for a while, you know. And so, I mean, I think of one, that's awesome. Two, does it doesn't improve city life. Like just to talk about density does it improve city life. Can we right. put more people on a block in a skyscraper yeah because later things like electricity communications humans talking with each other in offices like these all benefit from being closer together Mm. as opposed to spread way out where it takes a day to go travel to meet someone right or i need to figure out how to run wires from one thing to another place Mm -hmm. like i can build a power grid which powers a whole section of everything's closer together so this becomes huge Mm. for all technology Mm. Just saying, you're like giving me that (laughs) smile. (laughs) Actually, by the way, one other technology in, in, you know, how Tesla and Edison were fighting over whether DC or AC current should be the right electricity and AC winds up winning. That's what we have in our plugs. Edison, Uh, yeah. Also, apparently that helps cities because uh, AC power can run along long lines without losing a lot of power. Right. And it allows us to put power plants outside the city. Uh, And then run power lines into the city, which really allowed sort of cities to grow without being dirty. Hmm. But here's the thing. There's one technology that really, really harmed cities, even though it's still a big part of cities. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm really interested in what you're about to say. Marshall McLuhan, my favorite, says in one of his famous books, he says, cars are the real population of our cities. Interesting. Oh, dang. <laughs> I think this is one of these invisible tech items that people forget about, but I know in the suburbs, you know, everyone parks their cars in driveways. Oh, in man. the city, they're all parked on the streets. Every single yeah. street, on every single curb throughout oh, the city is car so to true. car to car. And can I parallel park like a beast? Yes, I'm amazing parallel parker, <laughs> right? Like, no problem. because Yeah. but. You sort of forget that we are lining our streets with 2,000-pound steel contraptions everywhere. Right. And I love that McLuhan saw this. I was just looking back at his stuff. I'm going to read you this. I don't know if you've heard this one from me before. It's brand new. The motor car destroyed the city Hmm. as a casual environment in which Hmm. families could be reared. Hmm. Streets, sidewalks became too intense a scene for casual interplay growing up. Like think about kids playing ball, right? Uh, As the city filled with mobile strangers, uh, even next door neighbors became strangers. uh, uh, He thinks the car turned it into an asphalt jungle and it blew up into the suburbs. Oh, man. And it separated work from home and the car ruined the city.
0: I am on board with that 100%. (laughs) Right? That's super fascinating. I bet you hadn't heard that quote before. That was a deep cut. (laughs) If I have, I forgot about it. I'm just in shock right now. Like he puts a finger on... What is so bothersome about crowded cities? It's the traffic. It's the it's cars not and the, the traffic. People.
1: Right. And if and. you look at like Amsterdam or some European cities that have really prioritized like bikes. Yeah. And you know, I love to bike yeah. in a city, right? And you can bike all over Chicago, but it's more dangerous than it yeah. is in a lot of European cities. Yeah. Because there aren't protected bike lanes. And when you, everyone's on a smaller, right. a more micro-sized on a human scale. Human scale is it. Yeah. Ironic. This is my big point. <laughs> this is the final point. Cities, ironically, are the big thing. Yeah. And then, but if they're designed right, they're actually more human scale than the suburbs. Mm-hmm. The yeah. Suburbs I would agree require with that. everyone to get into a big metal exoskeleton and drive around to the mall. Yeah. And <laughs> cities, I still go to local meat shops and go to vegetable stands. Right. And I really do this. Yeah. And yeah. I walk through my neighborhood and it's more human scaled even though it's
0: bigger. It's it's more human scale, but you're still at risk for that car that's s- speeding past. Correct.
1: And I would like want to eliminate the cars or make them much more limited to make the city more livable. Yeah,
0: yeah. man. Oh, you agree. That's I love this. insight. I really <laughs> appreciate it. I would love to live in a city where cars are secondary citizens, not primary citizens. Clune, by the way, argues in the 60s
1: still, the cars will go the way of the horse. He's like horses. Now are just for entertainment, for yeah. races or for yeah. polo, and they're going to go away. And it, do you want another reason? He thought TVs will become the center of how you talk with everybody. Literally, he predicted FaceTime. Right in that chapter about cars right and he says well we won't need to use the car to get from business to business because we'll use tvs to talk home to home and right that will be how you do business yeah <laughs> we'll, we'll zoom each other <laughs>
0: exactly and we did that for two years during the pandemic mm-hmm. and my gasoline bill for my car was like so low because i didn't use it at all <laughs> which was great it
1: hasn't changed the car yet but good question all right gosh, we've asked each other three questions each, and I feel like we have solved the problems
0: of the masses. We really have. Yeah. No no need. Why use Google when you have us? Chris and Adam, we are here for you. Exactly. We are here for you answering your questions. This is a good idea. Thank you. I might have been six years too late, but... Better late than never. And <laughs> <laughs> the website, I guess, we'll post the actual screenshots
1: showing that it was a real Google autocomplete that we used. And by the way, also, if you go to our website, you can figure out how to support the podcast. We still have some more supporters coming on and we are really looking for that. So yes. we love your support. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, please do. We're trying to put up extra things up there as we get them. So yeah. But Adam, it's time for Vice or Virtue. It's autocomplete.
0: (laughs) Of course it is. is. Of course it is. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Autocomplete, you know, so I actually, at least in a number of my applications, have turned off autocomplete. What? And autocorrect, but we'll stay on (gasps) autocomplete. Yes, here's why. So, you know, we we talked at the beginning about groupthink, right? Yeah. The idea that, you know, we all get kind of in the same ruts of thinking, and I want to argue that... Autocomplete puts us into those same ruts because here I am, I'm typing something in, and Google's like, Hey, do you want to ask this question? No, I don't. Thank you, Google. I want to ask my own question. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> and and autocomplete, Google is suggesting, hey, everybody should ask the same questions, should think the same things, should wonder the same wonders. Here, we'll even suggest to you what everyone else is so you can fit into the groupthink mold. So, I obviously <laughs> this, think that this autocomplete is, so... is a vice. I, d- <laughs> I just think you need therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I want my own identity and I can't get it in a virtual world. <laughs> oh, man. So, here's the thing this goes
1: back to fifth grade because we Wow, talk about identity. We had to do spelling bees. And you know, we'd stand up like in your elementary class and have a spell off. I did not do well. I mean, really, M I S S -S -S I S S -S I P P I, I but that's like all you know. And I uh, was very
0: good at spelling, so. Still it. seems right for you. It does.
1: Thank you. And so spelling things, I'm like a very good writer. I'm a very good grammar person. But I love the fact that both spelling autocorrect, but then also like on Google, if I start typing the first half of the word, the algorithm narrows it down. It could only be one of three things (laughs) here. And it's going to fill in what that is. And Mm. that's... Incredible. You think when, it's when it started, it's saving me tons of time. It's helping me find stuff because I'm like, I don't know. Is How it with a Z-H? This? Is yeah. it with a CH? And even though I memorize my Latin roots, I don't know. And so I love <laughs> the autocomplete for spelling. It saves my life. I know you're going to say, is, is Google making us dumber? Oh, I,
0: maybe, maybe it is.
1: <laughs> maybe it is. Although people need to realize that spelling did not become a fixture of daily mm. life until way late in the printing press era. Spelling, really? like spelling. All during thousands of years of history is spelled differently even in the same book even when Calvin is writing his institutes he will spell the same word differently in different places oh, that was not a sign of uneducation it was a different way the language was used fixity of spelling came with later a printing press i'm <laughs> done with my lecture i think
0: spelling autocomplete especially is a virtue <laughs> fantastic Well, this has been a super fun episode. I am glad I brought it. (laughs) Uh, We might have to do it again, honestly. Yeah, I feel like if you go to Google and want to type in your technology
1: thing, message us somewhere, the one that you came up that you think we should answer.
0: Yeah, that would be great.
1: See you, bud.